0: promise, this week I'm going to talk about some of the individuals who played a central part in the quest for American independence. I always wondered, why did Massachusetts get all the attention in the run-up to the Revolution? Yeah, there was that supposed Boston Massacre and the Tea Party, but surely other colonies were in the fight for independence. No? As I will cover this week, most of the influential individuals in the quest for independence came from Massachusetts and traveled in the same social circles. These relationships and similar history along with the shared values, would help push a country towards the push for liberty. Grab your coffee. John Adams, Josiah Quincy II, John Hancock. Two out of those three names might sound familiar. One man was the second president of the United States, and the other signature displays prominently on the Declaration of Independence. Would you believe all three men were born in and or raised in the town of Braintree, Massachusetts, and they grew up together? Crazy, right? So where did this desire to rebel against the government come from? Well, first off, these were not individuals chomping at the bit to separate from England. In fact, the exact opposite is true. All three men were committed to remaining English citizens and pledging loyalty to the crown. For Adams and Quincy, they were focused on the legitimacy of Parliament's tax assessments, and both worked to convince Britain of their error from a legal standpoint. For Hancock, it would come down to an economic argument. He contended merchants and suppliers alike could not withstand the taxes and would suffer as a result. Each man came to the cause of independence in their own time and for their own reasons, but all were ready by the fall of 1774. Their shared history in Braintree, Massachusetts, I think provides a good context for why perhaps they were so willing to challenge the status quo. Braintree was a small farming town about 10 miles outside of Boston. The three men and their families were active participants in the church and politics of the area. This combination of their proximity to each other in Braintree and Braintree's overall proximity to the shipping hub of Boston proved decisive in how and why Massachusetts is known as the starting grounds for the revolutionary sentiment. Boston was a major trading and shipping hub for the crown and a crucial economic center for the Northeast. When duties were assessed in the colonies, it almost always hit Boston's ports first. As one of the largest and most productive colonial ports, there was an incentive to fighting the newly required taxes as much as possible. All three of these revolutionaries would spend their lives in and out of Boston, seeing firsthand the impacts of British laws and the Crown's response to their call for representation. All right, now that I've laid some context, I thought I would dive into some brief summaries of the three individuals in question, starting with John Adams. Obviously, you all know by now, but for any newcomers to the pod, these will not be thorough biographies. Instead, I'm focusing on how they became involved in the call for revolution and what parts they played. I know there are so many individuals and entities who aided in the call for revolution, but I thought these individual stories weaved an interesting narrative of how individuals progressed from seeing themselves a subject of a British colony to citizens of America. So first up, we have Mr. Adams. John Adams was cocky from the beginning. Feeling he was intellectually superior to his counterparts, he would often complain that his peers achieved more success than he did, and was upset at the idea that his friends did not acknowledge his brilliance. Adams very much wanted to be recognized and adored for his talents, writing, What are the motives that ought to urge me to hard study? The desire of fame, fortune, and personal pleasure. And though known as the second president of the United States, Adams initially was not in love with the idea of politics and would return to practicing law after his political assignments were fulfilled. Like many of his colleagues, Adams was not originally on board with the idea of separation from England. In many of Adams's early writings, he argued for self-government as citizens of England. Adams, trained in law, would take issue with the assessment of taxes by the crown as an illegal act against the colonies. He would assert his point by one of the most common devices of the time, newspapers. Writing letters anonymously, Adams' collections of arguments against the Stamp Act would be known as a dissertation on the canon of feudal law. This thesis would take off, leading to his hometown of Braintree to request his authorship of its own instructions to its representatives, which was also published in the press. The directives were simple. The colonies refused to uphold the Stamp Act due to its violation of the British Constitution. And while Adams protested the Stamp Act, he was elated at its repeal. Rescinding the tax meant he could refocus on the important things, like building his law firm. Like many of the men who would go on to push for more complete separation, Adams' decision came over a period of time and, in his mind, as a result of a series of illegal acts taken against the colonies, each progressively worse than the one before it. Largely ignoring how the responses of his fellow colonists may be seen as treacherous to the crown, Adams primarily focused his arguments on the legality of the issues and complaints at play. It wasn't until the Coercive Acts were passed that Adams became a proponent for independence. As the colonies moved towards separation, Adams was chosen as one of the delegates for the Continental Congress in 1774, representing Massachusetts alongside James Bowden, Thomas Cushing, Sam Adams, and Robert Treat Payne. As a delegate, Adams would serve on committees drafting grievances to the king and nominate George Washington to be the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. He would go on to perform diplomatic work and serve as the vice president of the newly established United States. I cannot mention Adams without mentioning his wife, Abigail. Strong-willed and intelligent, Abigail would be a continued source of support and advice throughout Adams' career. Abigail was also a forceful voice for women's rights, pushing delicately the concept of voting rights while writing to her husband in the middle of the development of the Declaration of Independence. Warning of the potential consequences of ignoring women, Abigail wrote, quote, if particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies, we are determined to foment a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice or representation, quote. Cheers to that, sister. Up next, we have Josiah Quincy II, the youngest of the rebels. Quincy was born in Boston in 1744, however moved to Braintree in his youth after the death of his mother. Quincy studied at Harvard, just like Adams and Hancock and quickly developed a powerful legal mind and a reputation for a strong oratorical ability. Quincy was the youngest man ever invited to join the Long Room Club, a secret society dedicated to the discussion of politics started by Sam Adams, cousin of John Adams. Also, maker of a really great beer, from what I've been told. Members of this club included John Hancock and Paul Revere, the man infamous for his midnight ride. It was in this Long Room Club that Quincy routinely argued the need to follow the law in drafting its grievances against the Crown. He insisted the best protection for the colonies was found in the law, which covered all members of society, up to and including Parliament. Quincy had a reputation as someone who could argue eloquently and passionately, and would be known as an individual who would speak truth to power. This reputation prevented him from being admitted to the British version of the bar, although he still practiced law in Boston, being co-counsel with John Adams on the case of the British soldiers over the Boston Massacre in 1770. Sam Adams appreciated Josiah's ability so much, he lobbied Josiah to write a political essay in favor of the Sons of Liberty's cause. Working to increase overall membership, adding Josiah's passionate voice to the cause would entice men of nobility to support an organization historically seen as nothing more than a rebellious mob. Eventually, as a member of the Sons of Liberty, Quincy was selected to ride to the southern colonies to convince them of the noble and necessary cause of resisting the British government. Josiah was surprised— and disturbed at the predominance of slave labor. Wanting to see it banished from the colonies, but understanding the challenges that lie ahead, Quincy foreshadowed, quote, slavery may truly be said to the peculiar curse of this land, end quote. Quincy's stance on revolution seemed to change with the increased troop presence within the colonies sent by the Crown to enforce the Townsend Acts, and further complicated by the Boston Massacre. However, it wouldn't be until his trip to London that Quincy finally would be a full-throated supporter of independence. Something I was surprised to learn was Quincy was the brains behind the Boston Tea Party. In delivering a speech, Quincy, who suffered from a lifelong battle with intermittent tuberculosis, made reference to his illness in a passionate plea for forceful response to defend the colonies. While speaking, he noticed men entering the hall dressed as Mohawk tribesmen and would be inspired to challenge those present to take concrete action. Firmly dedicated to the law and believing the tensions between the colonies and the Crown was due to a misrepresentation by English officials, Quincy boarded a ship headed for Boston in an attempt to lobby the government for the cause. He was disappointed to realize there was no support to be found in Parliament or with the Crown. England was ready to squash the rebellion through any means necessary. In what would be his final journey, Quincy boarded a ship for America in March 1775 to warn his fellow countrymen that Britain was not interested in allowing the colonies to self-govern. He arrived in harbor on April 26, 1775, after the battles of Lexington and Concord, and would die before being able to communicate his warning, and without ever knowing, the battle for independence had officially begun. Lastly, Mr. John Hancock. John Hancock, born in Braintree on January 23, 1737, went to live with his wealthy uncle in Boston shortly after the death of his father. Hancock, also a man of delicate health, suffering from periodic attacks of gout, would be taught by private tutor and be shown the retail business that brought such wealth to his uncle. Discussions surrounding politics happened early. The first exposure to these debates would be in the Long Room club. Hancock was known as charming and affable and easily made friends. This helped him throughout his life, in business and in politics. Hancock's success as a wealthy merchant helped fund the calls for independence. As new taxes would be imposed to the colonies, Hancock would take to his pen, writing his British suppliers to plead the case for his countrymen, linking their cause to those across the pond, writing the taxes would be, quote, "...a great damp to trade." We shall have little or no demand for supplies from England. This ought to be considered, and hope we shall be relieved." Quote. And though he voiced support for independence and participated in economic boycotts, Hancock still believed in and supported the English government. Having hosted a dinner commemorating the repeal of the Stamp Act, Hancock made sure to write a British friend that the celebrations were done in taste, and his hope that with the repeal of the tax, harmony between the colonies and Britain would prevail. When the Townsend Acts were announced, Hancock again went about organizing an embargo of British goods. Working with Josiah's father, Edmund, Hancock began developing a plan for long-term boycotts and trying to implement a program of colony-based production of goods. Hancock, acting as a member of the House of Representatives from Massachusetts, sent a petition to the King of England requesting he condemn the Townsend Acts, though the King refused to receive the request, it having been classified as treasonous. For Hancock, the tide would turn towards independence as a result of the Tea Act which would lead to Parliament passing the coercive, or intolerable, acts. Hancock would go on to be selected to serve as President of the Second Continental Congress and have the most prominent signature in one of the most recognizable documents in American history, the Declaration of Independence. These are just snapshots of only three of the many individuals who played a key role in the quest for American independence. However, their stories help illustrate why Massachusetts was in the forefront of the fight and so influential in the drafting of a new nation. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Civics and Coffee. If you want to hear more small snippets from American history, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining me, and I look forward to our next cup of coffee together.